Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Kofefi. I'm Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the Bad Mama Jamma. Good Smith. morning, Carter. How are you doing today? It's Friday. It's Friday. Today's the Red Poppy Festival. Oh, really? Yeah. Are red poppies, do they have any uh, opioid effects? I don't know. I'm not sure, but they're really beautiful. Okay. And they've so already closed down the streets. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, I think I didn't tell you this, Carrie. We need to shout out to Keith. Um, Keith, uh, I never thought I would say this to another man, but uh, you make me want to have a better Patreon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a we have a Patreon, uh, another Patreon subscriber or whatever supporter. Oh, we do. Uh, yeah, uh, Keith, Keith Keith signed up, but I realized that I haven't updated Patreon in like months. <laughs> it's just there. But like, yeah, we should update it. Even the though content we're not sucks, it so yet. we need to. Yeah, yeah. We will. We will take in an action item to make Patreon better for those of you who uh, want to support us on Patreon, and, and maybe we'll think of something to throw in that's extra on Patreon. Because uh, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be yeah. nice to people who support you. Well, thank uh, you. Which Keith. We intend to be. Uh, we just haven't. So, um, yeah. So thank you, Keith. Uh, also, it's Follow Friday. So you know. Just tweet at all your friends and put unsafe space in the follow Friday. And that way we'll get more Twitter followers so we can lose them when we get banned. <laughs> um, Carrie, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, I just read an article. It may not be of interest to other people, but it really gave me shivers um, in the New York sure. Times. So this goes to that issue I'm, that, you know, I'm really fascinated about and I want to do a an episode about uh, deprogrammed at some point um, about the SJW ideology encroaching into churches. Oh yeah. Um, there is a article in the New York times from a few couple days ago, a few days ago, it's titled can black evangelicals save the whole movement. Um, but when you get into the meat of it, you've got this, it kind of focus on, focuses on this one theology professor who's basically bringing critical race theory, intersectionality, you know, all the, all the stuff that's a part of what we call SJW ideology into churches. And he even openly admires and says that his, everything he's teaching them um, is based on the work of this self-avowed Marxist and that he doesn't mention, who's that guy? Um, Dr. Cohn, uh, that he doesn't mention Cohn's name because he doesn't want to put them off. And th this was the most chilling sentence to me. Or, uh, here it goes. I get in the back door. He said that. Yeah. Well, that I mean, look, imagine you could harness the power and excitement of evangelicals and turn them to your cause. It's, uh, yeah. It, you'd be a force of nature. Because they evangelicals are pretty committed and they got a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's like talking about uh, how he gets them. He uses the concept of sin and redemption to get them to introduce the concept of systemic injustice. Quote, before they know it, they're nodding their heads. They're agreeing. And like, he, it's just, I don't know. You, does, I think you told me, uh, if you listen, people will tell you what they're about. And that one sentence, I get in the back door. I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, they do often. That is, that's been my experience also. It's just like when you meet people often at the beginning of your relationship, they actually tell you straight up what's going on. 
you're just mm-hmm. not listening half the time. It At least that's by my, my ex-girlfriend experience has been, hey, oh. I look back and go, oh yeah, she was pretty clear about the kind of person she was. Language is very revealing. I, I know we've talked about this before, but just for people who maybe didn't see it, that when Jesse Smollett thing was happening, he said at one point in an interview before we knew it was all a lie, but some of us thought it was a lie. He said, uh, if I had said it was Mac- Mexican men, this wouldn't have happened. If you know, people wouldn't react, if I had said it was, Me- and I'm like, wait a minute, shouldn't you mean if it was, <laughs> if it had been Mexican men, like there's that little trick of the language right there tells you if I had said it was Mexican men versus if it had been Mexican men, people yeah. reveal a lot with their language when they're they being- really do. They really do. I can't help it. Yeah. Um, well, um, that's depressing, I guess. Well, it is. It's also, I mean, it's really, it's, I mean, it's interesting to me because I am a new Christian and it's right at the, it's the cross section of everything that it's like the ideology I came from and in, infiltrating into what I view as actually a, a, re, a redemptive um, belief system that's based around individuals being like having a personal relationship with God and being individual under the, under the eyes of God being individuals. And, and, and it's taking that and it's putting something above, um, above that, above the Bible, above the word of God. So the primary text and the primary thing that you're the lens through which you're looking at the world is a Marxist lens instead of a Christ centered lens. And that just really, so I don't know, either people may not be interested in this. I just, we might have a really great guest at one point. We're trying to get this one um, guest who I I really love his writing. If you guys want to look him up, his name is Samuel Say, S-E-Y. But anyway, that's enough about my pet. No, no, I I, I get it. And and, uh, look, I think collectivism is one of the fundamental beliefs of the intersectional and social justice movement. You can't have the rest of their belief system without collectivist mentality. Um, and so it will undermine anything that has uh, an individualist principles. Uh, if, if you get convergence, um, then the, one, of the ta- one of the things they have to do is get rid of the individualism, right? Because individualism is incompatible, right? An individualist says, well, I didn't own slaves and you were not a slave and I didn't do X, Y, Z and you haven't done X, Y, Z. Like an individualist looks at things you know, from a personal responsibility, they don't care about what their ancestors have done or what members of groups they're in or whatever. Um, but, uh, but that's not compatible with intersectionality and social justice. So individualism has got to go. Yeah. And even within this New York times article, this, um, professor who's getting in the back door (laughs) at churches, he says at some point, um, he, the, the point is getting people to accept that there needs to be a region, you know, and I'm not reading a quote here, but I, I can't find it. But the point um, is basically to get people to accept that there needs to be a redistribution of power. Right. That's exactly, that's all SJW. It's like yeah. everything is through just a real brief refresher. It's like through a lens of you view the world through a lens of power and they define power, not based on your individual ability to do anything or make a change or inflict force. They base it on what identity groups you're in. And so when you're saying there needs to be a redistribution of power, like with Marxism, you're talking about, you need to, you need, we need to enact certain rules or certain legislation perhaps, or so that we can move, elevate some groups on the basis of race or sex and put others down. That that's goes against every non-racist principle and, and non-sexist principle. So, yeah. cause you're actively judging people 
um, by their race and sex and saying, let's move anyway. Yeah. You know, I don't think that we've made this point clear. Um, it's clear to me, but I don't know that we've, we've articulated it. Um, absolutely intersectionalism and social justice is a philosophical and cultural movement, but it's a cultural movement with intent. It, the end goal is political power. They're, all of this stuff, they're not just hoping that these, this stuff gets enforced with social mores. They, they, their, goal, their end goal is political power. Um, they just are smart enough to realize that culture needs to happen first. Um, yeah. So that, that's, all, that's all that's happening. And you know, the, one of the things that I, you know, I view you know, when we talk about this culture war, the West, you know, if you think about the government as the gun in the room, right, the, the gun that's allowed to be in the room that can be pointed at people that make them do things, right? That's, that's fundamentally what the government is. It's the gun in the room. Um, the West has kind of been about making that gun smaller and, you know, less gun in the room. And the social justice movement is about like seizing the gun. That's all. Um, that's, wow. that's what they're Carter, about. What that's the other analogy. side. That's a great analogy. I love that. It's exactly so, what it is. Seizing the gun and a really big gun at that. <laughs> yeah. So that's why we need to fight them. Um, oh, by the way, I wanted to mention, um, so yesterday we, uh, we talked about uh, the feminist coffee shop and, um, you know, we got a couple people that didn't like, didn't like probably people that followed us after Megan Murphy that were feminists who are, who are pissed off that uh, I dissed feminism. Um, but, uh, you know, and one of the people was just, you know, yelled and left. Okay, fine. That's not an argument. But someone actually brought up an argument and I, I, I want to address it because it was a good point. And I think she made a good point. She said, well, um, women are majority workers in sweatshops. Um, and I think that's true. I, I think it's, it's, so I looked up some stuff on, I haven't finished reading it because it's early in the morning and I just saw her comment this morning, but um, this is predominantly in developing worlds. We don't have a lot of sweatshops in the US. I mean, there's some, but uh, it's mostly in the developing worlds, and it uh, I it appears to be that yeah, like women are um, women are predominantly uh, the the majority of sweatshop workers around the world, and uh, yeah, you want to go fight sweatshops around the world uh, and for you know women's rights, uh, have at it. Uh, <laughs> so I guess the um, the point I want to make about that is. I, <sighs> She said something about like, oh, people can get away with paying them less and treating them worse. Um, I think that removes agency. Uh, and I want to make a point about sweatshops generally. So I will agree that like, yes, that's a case we didn't bring up like around the world in non-developed nations or developing nations. Uh, perhaps most of the sweatshop workers are women and sweatshops are not an environment in which uh, we in the first world think is a kind of place we'd want to work. It's a, there's a lot of harsh conditions. It's, it's bad. Um, and so I get that. Uh, I also, I also think it removes agency to say, well, they're forced to work in them. I mean, unless they're being rounded up physically by force, they're not being forced to work in sweatshops. And, and the reason that this, um, I always want to quickly mention this is, is people use this argument against sweatshops generally, and they use it against China. And you hear, you hear this argument about like, um, uh, Foxconn, for example, right? How horrible it is to work for Foxconn and blah, 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 and Chinese sweatshops. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the race card out. My wife is Chinese. She grew up in Shenzhen. Um, and she actually got into an argument with Sergey Brin's girlfriend on stage a while ago about this very thing. Because Sergey, Sergey Brin's one of the founders of Google. And Sergey Brin's girlfriend uh, was 
arguing that sweatshops are horrible and we need to do something about it and blah, 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 blah. And my wife was saying, you have no clue what it's like to be in China. People are working at the sweatshops because it's better than the life they had before they were working at the sweatshops. When you are dying and your, your life is absolute crap in, the far, in like the rural parts of China and you have an opportunity to move to a big city and work long hours in a crappy sweatshop and for, for what seems like a lot, not a lot of pay, that's a step up. You are happy. It is a step in the right direction. So to vilify these sweatshop owners and like, you have to pay them more. You have to, they, if they, they don't, <laughs> the people that are there are, are happy to have the jobs and, and those jobs are a step up. And you have to realize that all of this is a transition from uh, a third world nation to a, to a first world nation. And that transition takes time and the, and it takes time to exhaust the peasant labor force to the point where they can start demanding uh, better wages and increased living con- better living conditions. But the, but the that's the ultimate the, end goal. You share that goal with people who want that. It's just everyone you- wants that, but you don't want it right. by force. It's not the it's not the shop owner's fault. I mean, look in the cases where the, the person is like physically enslaving people, then then yes, it's their fault. But in general, like offering someone an opportunity, like if I if I start a shop tomorrow and I say it's a crappy place to work, I'm not going to pay you much. Um, the pipes are leaky. Uh, it's like, here's all the horrible things about working here. Do you want to work here? By the way, that that applies to us here. We need an intern. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a crappy place to work. We can't pay you anything. Do you want to work here? Um, and if the answer is yes, that's that's on the person who said yes. And you're denying them agency. And whenever you whenever you get on this kind of bandwagon of like these sweatshop people are oppressed, you have to understand you have to compare it to their previous life and you have to give them agency. You have to ask them if they're oppressed. You can't just be like, well, by first world standards, this sucks. Yeah. What? Well, I, I have a question for you. What? If you don't think, cause you, you said that she mentioned it's mostly women who are in the sweatshops, which, right. which is a great point. What, why do you think it's mostly women? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know. I imagine perhaps that, um, I imagine that in a lot of these countries, well, I don't know what countries they're talking about, so I, I don't necessarily want to speculate, but- You don't have to have an answer. I just, I'm curious. Yeah, if you, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, there's a lot of speculation I could have about, um, maybe it's like a s- supplementary thing, like maybe the hours make it so that women, maybe they can bring their kids and have them around. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the guys are, maybe they're agriculture-based economies and the guys are out in the field. I, I don't really know. I don't know where, I don't know the answer to this. So. That's an interesting question. I haven't question. researched, so we, yeah. we shouldn't, I shouldn't speculate. I, I don't know. But it's worth looking into. And if someone wants to, like, point us to stuff about this plight, like, you know, um, that I'm either- open to hearing about this plight. We were specifically talking about the first world when we were making fun of the Seattle or wherever that was, the coffee shop. So uh, it's not really, um, it's not really super relevant to the first world, but sure. It's still, it's still interesting, though. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Sure, you yeah. know. And look, I would be I would be much more tolerant of a lot of the feminists if they were running around the globe um trying to fight the worst examples of misogyny and patriarchy they found. But you know who's doing that? Women like Christina Hoff Summers, who the radical feminists call a 
men's rights activist. So, you know, it's kind of rich to be complaining about uh, a, a non-existent pay gap in a first world country when you're getting stoned to death for adultery in Brunei and or wherever it is, <laughs> like, and you're not, you're not, there's no, you're not making a peep against, you know, a massively well, patriarchal and to be clear, misogynist culture. To be clear, a lot, and somebody said this in the comments, a, a lot of radical feminists are. It's Great. just rad, radical feminists don't, like Megan Murphy, they don't own the conversation right now. Uh, they don't own feminism anymore because SJWs, SJW feminists, third wave feminists, these intersectional feminists have taken that away and they purport to speak for all of feminism. And they call people like, they call radical feminists TERFs. They, they fair, actively fair. have created a slur for them. And so they don't own, they don't dominate that conversation right now. It's, it's it, just like with everything else, this SJW ideology has swallowed it up. I feel like there are all these this different movements that, that this ideology is really good at just going in and taking them over and amassing and making it a big part of, a, a big part of itself. Yeah, um, that's, and that's like fair. you said, that's like fair. you said with the Christian church, yeah, that's a great example. Oh my gosh. So it's like, they move into these movements. You've got people who are, who are the personality type to be in a movement anyway, and to be they're activists already. And then you you seed your ideology there, and and tie it into what they believe in already. And then you've got these, these mouthpieces that go out into the world. And you're right, they are doing it in the church. It's so interesting. Anyway, by the um, way, so so yeah, you, right. you, that's a great point. By the way, about the feminists, like a, I, that's a that's a good point, and I. I Maybe we should have Megan back on to talk about um, some of this stuff because I don't really know a lot about the Rad Femmes. Um, yeah, you know what would be fun is on maybe on Deprogrammed at some point because it's a long format. We have um, a radical feminist and a liberal feminist on or, you know, just to sort of talk about the differences. Yeah. Uh, I just, um, as an atheist, I've got a question for you. <clears throat> sure. Which door does Satan use? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that line just really I get in the back door just really stuck with me because it's it's like saying like I sneak in when you're not looking, you know? I sneak <laughs> yeah. this ideology in which and there is a verse in the Bible about um how sin is like a cat that crouches at your door mm-hmm. and can strike at any moment. I mean, honestly, it, it, I think I think it could come in the front or the back door. I actually just had a really weird interaction with a Christian, I guess you would say Christian leader that I, I guess I, I'm such, I know, I know there are people in who use just like in any movement, there are people who are there with bad intent. I mean, only there's Catholic priests who molest kids. I mean, there's bad people who in, in Christianity who are using it to, to cloak bad intent, but it's still, I, it still shocked me. This is my first person I came into contact with that. I was like, Oh my gosh, the guy's a creep. <laughs> but but yeah. how could he be he's like, yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> that's all over the it place sucks. Gary. i yeah. know i i guess i'm like a uh naive in i guess i i regained my naivete in some ways because i i've had such a good experience with the church that i found and the christians that that really challenged all the stereotypes that i had had about christians and you know these are people who are trying to be close to Jesus and live the way that Jesus has commanded and they're not in it. It's, I don't think of it as, you know, a lot of times people separate organized religion from like a relationship with God. I view it that way. Like this isn't, this isn't all the stereotypes I had about 
people um, using religion to push something else or to um, to try and, and virtue signal. Yeah. Um, and then to then run into someone who I feel like is a huge fraud. I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault. I think um, I think this happens when anyone, when whenever anyone switches um, major belief systems, because the example I'll use is I was a Christian. And when I became an atheist, I went into this period of naivete, which took a while to get out of where I was like, all atheists are rational. And yeah, I'm like, oh, oh, they're Marxist crazy people. Oh, that's there really are bad people in any movement, man. Like, yeah. Oh, in fact, in atheism, it's most of them are Marxist crazy people. So it's like, oh, yeah, like I, I think I'm still right about my conclusions, but I really, I can't make any positive assumptions about you just because you say you're an atheist. That's certainly right. not true. And that's what, exactly what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not your fault. Uh, it's not your fault. Um, we, there's one piece of news we, I feel like we should at least mention because uh, Trump is going to brag. Oh, he's, I'm sure he's bragging about it already. Uh, the GDP is up by 3.2% in the first quarter of 2019. Yay, it's a big, big GDP jump. I just, uh, I know the economics boards you carry, but. Can you see my eyes glazing ever? I this know, is why I women could. shouldn't be able to vote. I, I really Whoa. don't. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a total joke. Uh, I'm getting Megan Murphy back for that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I, but yeah, I'm like, economics. Hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I just want to, look, I, I'm going to point something out. I, I hate this GDP. GDP is the biggest farce. And frankly, the way that we measure our growth is causing problems. And I don't think people, I don't think people think about this at all because they take, they take so-called experts, they take their opinions and, and they assume that because GDP is the number that, that the government uses, that there's some real value behind it. But I just want to, I just want to break it apart a little bit. There's four components to GDP that they measure, right? Personal consumption, Business investment, which is when businesses buy like new capital goods, not when they replace old ones, but they like buy new things. Government spending and net exports. Now, let's just talk about just I, this. I'll make this quick. I know it's a it's a Kofefi talk time, so I'm not it won't be long. Um, look, if you want to think about how productive a society is, right? You should be measuring their productivity, maybe the like the excess capital they have that goes into savings, you should be dinging them for debt. So when they're borrowing to do things that's borrowing from the future, that should be a strike against that society. If you start to think about like, how do we measure what's going on in the economy? Well, if I, let's say I suddenly need to borrow money to pay for groceries, um, that should be a strike against the economy. That should be like, oh, things aren't going well he had to go into credit card debt to buy groceries, right? Okay. Um, but that's not how our GDP works. Um, if you'll notice, personal consumption, business investment, government spending, net exports, none of those care about how much debt we went in to do any of that. Um, so first of all, let's, let's take down the easiest one, government spending. So every dollar that the government spends, they've either taxed or printed. So taxation is theft. Uh, and I only have to talk about it morally. It's at least, even if you don't agree that it's morally theft, it's theft from the productive economy. The government doesn't produce anything. They don't add value to the economy. They take money away and manage. They don't, they don't, you don't get a new widget because of the government. They don't 
produce anything fundamentally. They take the product of someone's labor and redistribute it somehow. And they, they say, okay, well, you know, thanks for doing X, Y, and Z. We're going we're gonna to give it to some other guy so he can build us a tank. You may not right? get a widget, but you get a highway so that your truck. No, you don't. Business. No, you don't get a highway. I mean, you they get, built. You get a subcontractor who can build the highway without the government and you get some money taken away from bureaucrats. So you have to find the subcontractor. You don't get a highway. The government doesn't build roads. The government doesn't do anything. You think there were roads before the government? How do you think they got to, I mean, look, there were roads in 1776 before the, there were roads, right? So the government, the government doesn't build anything. Like, think about, the gov- think about it this way. When they start off, they have zero dollars. The only way they get any dollars is by taking from other people. Now, they can spend those dollars on doing things, even if, even if uh, congressmen like, g- gave them a shovel and they actually did go dig ditches and build roads and government was literally doing something. The resources to do that didn't come from the government. The only resources the government have come from private industries production, private people. They come from your work. That's where the government gets resources. Resources aren't magically... Money doesn't magically appear in government coffers unless we talk about uh, printing money, which is the second issue we talk about. Like, but so like everything the government has comes from the economy, right? It's a negative zero government, better economy. It's a negative anything the government. It's any any anything they take, any dollar they spend came from the economy, and they probably wasted half of it shuffling paper in Washington before they dished it back out to someone who's going to do productive labor. So. There's that. They also do inflation, which is printing money, right? Sorry, they also print money, which causes inflation, I should say. Also just print money. Um, Printing money is not a productive activity. So government spending shouldn't be a measure of any kind of health of an economy. That's just a backwards retarded thing. In fact, it's, it's a ding on the economy. How much money, like how much money are they taking out? Like that's not a good thing. Um, and most government spending is subsidized largely by debt, which our grandchildren and our children and grandchildren and great grandchildren are going to have to pay. So that's not like, that's horrible. All that's a horrible measure of anything. So that, that one's dumb personal consumption. So if I, if I, if I go into debt to buy a new TV that helps the GDP, what the hell is that measuring? How is that measuring health of an economy? Right. Business investment, you could argue like maybe, okay, they're making investments and stuff. So, but all this, all of this is based on, and this is why I wanted to bring it up. All this is based on consumption as the measure of value. And I want to, I want to get, and I'm, I'm not the first person by far to talk about this. The whole Austrian school of economics is about what I'm about to say. Um, And there's plenty of economists like uh, Peter Schiff and people who will talk about this. And uh, Jim Rickards, I think talks about this as well. Production, the Austrian School of Economics, <laughs> like, uh, is, is this is kind of what kind of what it's based on, sort of. It's production that's valuable, not consumption, right? So most of the economists are based on Keynesian economics, which is really about consumption. So, and these are the, the government economists and the people running, running the show, right? Consumption isn't a measure of how well we're doing, guys. This is why Social Security is going to die. This is why the government's in trillions of dollars of debt. This is why consumer debt is high. Consumption is not a good measuring stick for an economy. Measuring consumption is like measuring how high you are from the cocaine you're taking, right? Like, okay, that's great, but you're going to fucking crash. 
you are going to crash. Maybe heroin's a better example. Like, <laughs> gee, how high can I get from heroin? Look at how much heroin I injected into my veins this quarter. That's, that's great. But when you go through withdrawal, it's going to be fucking hell. And it's better to measure how, how much we're producing, right? How much are people earning? How much are they saving? That would be a great measurement. Like, wow, how much are they saving? How much, I, how much do I not have to go into debt to buy my groceries? How much do I not have to go into debt to buy a TV? Oh, look, I've got extra money. That's the sign of a healthy economy. And, and people have this idea that like when you save money, you throw it in a bank and like it's a waste of money because it's sitting in a bank. That's not how banking works. It's not a waste of money at all. That's what fuels the economy. That bank lends that money out at 10x what it is in your bank so other people can start businesses and grow the economy. Like all of that activity is way more valuable to measure in terms of the health of an economy. So, you know, Trump and the Republicans, whenever the number goes up, right? Whenever the number is, quote, good, you have the side that's in power take credit for it. GDP is awesome. It's because Trump is such a genius with economics, blah, 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 right? Okay, fine. And when it goes down, the other side will yell, ha ha, Trump's an idiot with economics. It goes down. They're all idiots. This is not how to measure the health of an economy. It's the wrong way to measure the health of an economy. And um, I, I think we need to be really aware of that so we don't get caught up in the GDP hype. It's why I don't usually talk about stuff like GDP, because it's all hype and it's actually not, it's not a healthy measurement of anything. It's a measurement of how high we are on heroin. I like when you use analogies. If you're going to speak to me about economics, use some drug and uh, other okay. use any kind of analogy. Uh, what I'm hearing from you is that I don't need to care about GDP. Right. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. So that whole rant was just don't listen to it. Uh, I guess. Okay, good. No, I did learn something there. <laughs> um, I just can't help but ranting. It's Friday and I needed to rant. Sorry. It's a good um, rant. Yeah. So uh, I feel like I derailed our conversation, but it's, no, you didn't. I I, anything I thought, else, Carrie? Give us some Friday excitement, some Friday inspiration for the weekend. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I wish you all had a Red Poppy Festival to go to. Uh, there we go. <laughs> On that note, thank you everyone for watching. Um, we all we hope that you have a Red Poppy Festival to go to somewhere in your town. Um, Follow us, please, on Twitter at Unsafe Space. And it's Follow Friday, so tell your friends to follow us. Um, go to unsafespace.com, and uh, you, could be, you could be the next Patreon supporter or Bitcoin supporter or whatever you want if you go there. Um, but whatever you do, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at Unsafe Space. Comment on it. Uh, you know, bring up arguments that you disagree with. We'll be happy to, to continue to have discussions if we're, you know, there's data and evidence that, that contradicts oh, yeah. what we're saying. So. We're happy to have people disagree. So. Yeah, so I appreciate actually the person who pointed out the sweatshops and we'll investigate it more and maybe have more discussions about it. So thanks everyone. Have a great weekend and um, we'll see you on Monday.